Welcome to the SMC 2021 podcast. What if God wanted to do something new in your life? This is your fresh start. All right, here we go, guys. It's good to see you. I'm Sean, and this is my wife and best friend, Kim. We live in Phoenix, Arizona, and we are so glad you're here. A little bit about us so you can get to know us. Here's my story. Even though I live in the desert now, I grew up in the mountains. I grew up in Breckenridge, Colorado. I was into skiing, soccer, football, baseball, a little bit of school, a lot of outdoors fun. And since we're in a breakout here on love, sex, and dating, I'll give you a little bit of my relationship's history. I'll never forget my third grade girlfriend, Penny Brown. I never actually spoke to her per se, but <laughs> but in my mind, she was my girlfriend. <laughs> uh, she just didn't know it. Then there was Robin. This was my eighth grade girlfriend. Lasted two days. She dumped me. And then I had a long-term uh, relationship in high school slash college. It was an immature relationship in all reality, and I'll put all of that on myself. It was immature because, honestly, I was immature. Now, spiritually speaking, I didn't grow up in a home where much was made about God. No prayer, no church, no Bible. I had I had good parents who loved me. Uh, my mother was a pretty intense alcoholic. My dad worked a lot. Um, I wouldn't say they had just an unbelievable marriage that I wanted to emulate. My view of marriage growing up was, no thanks, I think I'll be single for life. What about you, Kim? Well, my view of marriage was very, was much different. I wanted to get married since I was a little girl. And because I believe that life was about falling in love and getting married and living happily ever after. And by college, I was engaged and life was going just as planned. I grew up in the South. I owned a Bible and we kind of sort of went to church. And I knew, I knew enough that I was not living right, and it was bugging me pretty bad. And some of you know what I'm talking about. A roommate invited me one day to a sorority fraternity Bible study. And I couldn't go at first, but eventually I was able to go, and I learned what the Bible said about love. There's a, the speaker talked about love if and love because, and Love if is like, I will love you if you do these things. Love because is, I'll love you because you look this way or you do these things. And, you know, as I thought about it, that was the type of relationship that I had. Biblical love was love regardless. It's the kind of love God has for us, and it's the kind of love He wants a couple to have in marriage. And it didn't take me long to realize that first, I needed a relationship with God. And I, I got into a relationship with God and guess what? My fiance was not thrilled about my new relationship with God. And he kept kind of trying to hold it back. And I couldn't figure out how to do both because they really were at odds with each other. It's a long story and it was scary for me but I broke off that engagement and I began pursuing my relationship with God. So here's what's hilarious about that time. <laughs> Kim was 19 years old. She was a sophomore in college when she came to Christ. She's actually seven and a half years older than I am. We're married, of course. Uh, so when Kim found a relationship with Christ, I was 12 years old. <laughs> 
So here she is. Could you imagine if she had prayed, Lord, show me my husband. I'd be up there with my buddies in sixth grade. <laughs> I'm going to make an assumption about each of you because you came to this break breakout or because you're listening to this breakout. I'm going to assume most of you want to be married one day. You may not want to get married this year or anything, but you didn't come in here because you want to learn how to serially date well into your 80s, right? Here's the interesting reality today in our culture. Marriage is falling out of favor. The average marrying age for males continues to get older and older. It's 30 now across the country. For females, it's 27. The reality is that people are getting married later in life with more reservations and with less success, truthfully. Now, here's the deal. Marriage can be tough, so I get why people honestly are putting it off. But here is one of the things we came all the way to Dallas to say. Marriage can be incredible. A healthy marriage multiplies joy and divides pain because it's a relationship. It's a friendship. A healthy marriage reflects the goodness of God to the world. That was one of the intended purposes God created marriage for. It gives you the chance to experience unconditional love from another person and to give unconditional love to another person extremely rare. It can be life with your best friend who is unconditionally committed to you. A healthy marriage is awesome. Well, I like doing life together with Sean. He takes care of me. I take care of him. And it's hard sometimes because I'm a selfish person, but it sure is nice when we think of each other and take care of each other. Marriage can be so life-giving. In fact, studies show over and over that married people are far wealthier, live longer, live more healthy, are mentally or more mentally healthy, they experience lower stress, they're less likely to be depressed, better outcomes after major surgery, more likely to survive cancer, and believe it or not, they have far more and far better sex. And that's not just our opinion. The University of Chicago did the most extensive survey on sex, study on sex years ago. And Secular they, institution, a, right? Yeah, this isn't some Christian. No, it's not a Christian thing. But they found that, um, that monogamous faithful marriages have the most and the best sex. Yeah, the Bible says marriage is a gift from God. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord, Proverbs 18. It's our hope that every one of you will experience the richness that is a godly marriage. But we do have some bad news for you. Although marriage is a gift from God, your own future marriage is probably already in trouble. How do we know that? We know that from the culture we live in. We know that from the way culture is going. Now, every group of friends has that person who's like an old person in a young person's body, right? Like he's your age, but he just seems 40. Every fraternity has one for sure. Old man so-and-so, they always call him. Most of us aren't like that, right? The rest of us need conversations with older, wiser people so we can learn and so we can mature. We want to speak to you today on behalf of someone older and wiser than you. Not us, by the way. We want to speak to you on behalf of someone who knows you way better than we do, who cares about you even more than we do, and someone whose life your decisions and habits directly affect. The older, wiser person we're talking about is future you. Future you. Here, here's what we mean. If future you, 
okay? 40-year-old you could come back in time and talk to you today. There are some things I know he would say, I know she would say. Here's how I know, because we've been working with college students for 25 years, and we've talked to hundreds of students who went before you, and they've come back and said, I wish someone would have told me this. We want to share some things with you today that we know future you would want you to hear in regard to love, sex, dating, relationships. And I got to warn you, future you is going to sound really not normal when it comes to his slash her opinions on your decisions in regard to love, sex, and dating. But before you discount your future not normal self, I want to ask you a question. What is normal anyway? Here's what's normal. On a recent survey, this percentage of men, married men, said that they had cheated on their spouse and she didn't know. 44%. Mm. 25% of married women said the same thing. 44 and 25%. By the way, do you think 44% is headed up or down? Is that number headed up or down? Intuitively, you know it's headed up, right? But what reasons would you give for that? In fact, why don't you discuss that in your small groups right now? Do you think those numbers are headed up and why? Okay, that was some fascinating discussion. We got to listen in on some of that. Here's what I believe. I believe every person here can prepare for a thriving marriage if they ignore culture and listen to their future self's advice when it comes to love, sex, and dating. We want to give you some of the pieces of advice, some of the pieces of coaching that we think future you would offer you. So we want to give you today four pieces of coaching that we think future you would give you. And so the first piece of coaching your future self would give you in the area of love, sex, and dating is this. You should question the prevailing philosophy of how to find a mate. You should not accept the prevailing philosophy of how to find a mate. You should question it. Here's the truth. If you want what most people have, then do what most people do. But if you want something different, you're going to have to make some different decisions. That's good. You need to say that again. Okay. If you want what most people have, then do what most people do. But if you want something different, you have to be willing to make different decisions. You know, Kim, God speaks to this idea in the Bible. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul, he wrote, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Romans 12, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its way of thinking. What is the pattern of of the world when it comes to love, sex, and dating? All of you intuitively answered this when I asked you if you thought the 44% would climb higher or go lower. The vast majority automatically say, man, even though I was shocked by that high number, I think it's probably going higher. Here's what you already know. You know inside that what people are doing is not working. It's broken. The prevailing behaviors and patterns of thinking and relating that culture around us And by that, I just mean music lyrics, Netflix shows, celebrity advice, social media, whatever. Those behaviors and patterns of thinking that those outlets are trying to imprint you with 
are what is leading to broken relationships. The reality is most people would love to be in a great marriage one day. Life with your soulmate, raise some mini me's. It's really (laughs) fun, right? Most people want that, but most people aren't willing to do what it takes to get that. I had a high school soccer coach who showed up one day. He was a new coach. We were terrible the year before. We went on to um, play in the state championship game, I think it was, uh, the first year that we had this new coach. He was an unbelievable coach. At our very first practice that fall, at the end of practice, everybody was tired. He said, guys, what's the goal? And, of course, everybody goes, win state. You know, that's what you say in high school. And then he asked an interesting question. He said, how far do you want to run today? And some senior looks around. He goes, nowhere, none. We don't want to run at all. And so he goes, okay, everybody go home. He wanted to develop in us um, intrinsic motivation. And, And here's what we all found out about ourselves that day. Everyone has the will to win, but few have the will to prepare to win. Now, he was a coaching genius and built in us over the next few months, obviously, a will to prepare to win as well. But when it comes to love, sex, and dating, Romans 12 says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Don't do what most people are doing. Don't drive the same roads everyone else is driving. Be willing to hit the brakes, pull over, and ask yourself, what is it going to take to win in my marriage one day? If most people are in unhealthy marriages, and even some are in bad marriages that they think are good, and they're actually married to a cheater, Maybe they shouldn't approach love, sex, and dating the way everyone around them is doing it. You know, um, and Sean, you know this story, but I had a chance to learn that there was, in college, that there was a different way to do relationships than what I was doing. And you know what? I'm really grateful. It's not easy to go differently than everyone else, but you know what? It was way worth it. Most of the relationships forming around you right now, the people in them, they don't really care what God thinks or what he says. And you know what? They seem to be doing just fine. But future you wants you to know that most of those relationships that look fine now won't end well. Love, marriage, and sex were all God's idea. They were his design. And he knows better than our culture how they work best. I love that. Let's go into our second piece of coaching. The second piece of coaching your future self would give you in the area of love, sex, and dating is to question our culture's view of marriage, not just of dating and relationships, but of marriage itself. As I look around, Kim, in our culture, here's what I see. Most people view marriage as a contract. There's this thinking that it's just like a contract in a business contract. It's a bunch of, it's like you said, uh, love if. Like, mm-hmm. if you do this, I'll do that. If, if you do this, I'll do that. If you um, do this for the kids or you do that for the house, then I'll do this and, and, and we'll get along. It's kind of a 50-50 relationship. That's how contracts are. And, and in the end, if there's a breach of contract, you're, you sort of get out of the contract. It's like you didn't uphold your end of the quote bargain. And so I'm out. And it's no wonder that there's so much divorce. And it's no wonder why fewer and fewer people are getting married. They think, why get into a contract with somebody? I, that's the last thing I need is one more contract. I'll just live with them for years and years, make them a long-term girlfriend or whatever. Here's what these people don't understand. Our culture thinks marriage is a contract. It's not. Here's what it is. It's a covenant. A covenant is a far less recognizable and far less used word in our culture. But a covenant is so much more 
beautiful and so much more meaningful. And marriage is a covenant. Here's what a covenant is. A covenant is when one person says to another person, regardless of how you respond, I'm going to unconditionally love you. Back to your love regardless, Mm -hmm. right? Regardless of whether you treat me well or respect me, unilaterally, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be tender. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to defend you. I'm never going to slander you. I'm going to one way just love you tremendously regardless of how you treat me. That is covenant. You see how different that is from contract? Another thing about covenant is that covenant suggests exclusivity, right? One of the things that makes a marriage and even just a relationship romantic is exclusivity. Can you imagine, um, Kim, could you imagine me saying to you, I'm so, so in love with you and your sister. Right? No, like, <laughs> right, like, in love with me. Right, like, me. That's, but <laughs> that's what a covenant is. A covenant says, saying no to all others, I exclusively pick you and I will serve you and love you and be faithful to you sexually and in all other ways for a lifetime. That's what covenant is. Most relationships, again, are love because. I love you because you're attractive because you make me feel good, because you have sex with me. I love you because you make me feel good. Covenant love is totally different. It's unconditional love. You know, another thing about that, Sean, that I'd like to throw in is that when you love as a love regardless type of way, it says more about you than it does about the person being loved, if that makes sense. Um, I just, I think that's just a really helpful um, thought. But marriage was never designed to be temporary. You know, things were so bad um, that God eventually did allow divorce. But Jesus said, you know, it was not supposed to be this way. It wasn't the way at the beginning. Um, Marriage is supposed to be a picture of God's relationship with us. It's a metaphor. He is faithful. He keeps his word. Just like he has a love regardless love for us, we are to have a love regardless love for our spouse. And a lot of couples now are playing house and they're quote unquote being committed to each other. Right, they're, they're sexually involved. They're, they're sexually they're moving involved. Together, they're together, living whatever. together. They're, you know, buying a dog. They're doing all the things. They're playing house. But that's not covenant love. And you miss out on the benefits of covenant love. It's like you're practicing to fail because you there's always the option that they're going to get out and statistics say that living together the chances of your marriage lasting are actually lower um, if you live together first very true and you know that's one of the things that's powerful about a wedding because at a wedding you make your covenant public you make vows, mm-hmm. you make promises, you tell that other person, till death do us part, will I be faithful to you? Will, will I love you in sickness and in health, richer or poorer? Uh, so long as we both shall live, I will love you unconditionally, serve you unconditionally. It's not a trial. There's a very clear, with witnesses, promise, and it's the, the inauguration of a covenant. And that is how the Bible speaks of a marriage, it is light years away from a contract. Future You needs to talk again. Future You has a third piece of coaching uh, in the area of love, sex, and dating. Write it down. 
Question what our culture says should attract you to a person. Question what our culture says should attract you to a person. You know, American culture says it's all about physical attraction, right? Sex sells. Every product tries to, to sell because, and it's, and it's not just sex or sexiness. It's, it's the promise of sex, right, that sells. But, but here's the thing about physical attractiveness. You are literally sexually compatible with millions of people. Okay. Sorry to disappoint. I know some of you guys are like hoping out, uh, holding out for the one, you know, or whatever. It's like, no, actually you are you're sexually compatible with millions of people. Physical attraction is everywhere. And the reality about physical attraction is it comes and goes and it is important. You want to marry somebody obviously that you, you're physically attracted to, but it's not of highest importance. What is of highest importance? It's not looks, it's character. Mm. Let me ask you a question. Where are the best bodies in the world? Beverly Hills. Where are the shortest marriages in the world? Beverly Hills. <laughs> a great marriage is not about boobs and butts and abs, okay? It's about something altogether different. A great marriage is about character. There used to be an old word that they used to describe character it was, and I think it's a Greek word. I'll have to check on that. But I, I think it was the word karasso. Uh, a karasso was a, a, a metal etching tool. It was a, used for engraving or sculpting or, or marking metal. Your karasso is your moral etching. It's who you are on the inside that drives what you do and, and won't do on the outside. It drives what you're willing to say and what you're not willing to say, what you'll laugh at, what you'll cry about. That is your character. That is your carasso. A great marriage is about character. It's about carasso. Listen to Proverbs 22, 1. It says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Your name is your character. When, when we talk about somebody's name, we're talking about their reputation. We're talking about what people think, their, their emotive response when they hear that name. If I say the name Hitler, you have a thought that, that you have a response to that. Some people might have a visceral response if, if they were living in a World War II Nazi Germany or if they had family members who were, right? Hitler's name carries a response because his name is his character. Similarly, when I was in college, if someone were to say the name Hunter Rogers, now I understand that name means nothing to you, but I went to college with a guy named Hunter Rogers and about 7.30, 8 o'clock every night, Hunter would sort of disappear from the group. He'd be gone for about an hour and then he'd be back. And I never knew where Hunter went until one day I stopped Hunter and I said, dude, why are you always disappearing mid evening? Where do you go? And he kind of didn't want to tell me. He was a little embarrassed. And finally he said, dude, I, when I was in high school, we had an elderly couple living next door and the old man grew very disabled. And so the wife asked me if I would just kind of come help him get into bed one night. I did that. I kind of helped him get ready for bed. And I sort of like a forklift, I reached out my hands and picked him up and I, I put him into bed and it became a habit that I started to do fairly regularly for this guy. Now, here's a guy in college who's using an hour of his every day to go and put an elderly man to bed because his wife couldn't do that. 
what character can you imagine the crossover now you know additionally kim can you imagine what the girls thought of hunter rogers oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah uh, you, you could see it in other guys too they're like dang why didn't i think of that put the disabled guy to bed you know it's like hey you didn't think of it because it wasn't your character to do so i knew another guy in back in college his name was rocky flint that's his actual name he's a football player is perfect his parents had to name him for the loudspeakers for Friday Night Lights, Rocky Flint. But Rocky, once a month, used to drive an hour from the town he went to college in, in as a college football player, and he would go to a special needs dance. He would volunteer his time, and he would go dance with these these ladies who were who had Down syndrome. It's not about your core, okay? It's not about your abs. It's not about your core. It's about your core character. It's about your Carasso, I can say that what initially attracted me to you, Kim, was was how how pretty you were. Thanks. <laughs> but 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 what kept me interested was that you never badmouthed anyone. You used your words to build people up. You spent time in the Bible. You prayed sincerely. You you didn't swear. You didn't. Um, you weren't miserly. You were generous toward others with your money. You were a hard worker and you're still all these things. You you loved God and you talked about how much you loved him and you had a track record of doing it, doing all this. It wasn't like you'd been doing it for two weeks, you know, so I thought I'd marry you. <laughs> you, you. You had a track record of doing this for years. There's a proverb, chapter 31, verse 30. It says, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, character, she shall be praised. Well, physical beauty sure fades. Um, Y'all can't see this, but right now I've I've got I had a um, basal skin thing taken off my nose, and basically they took a crater out of my nose, and they had to stitch it back up. And I'm trying to hold up with my glasses with this little chunk of gauze. And anyway, um, things you've, you've seen better days. I've seen better days. <laughs> I'm not looking very good right now. <laughs> Can't wear eye makeup. I mean, I'm looking pretty scary. So I'm glad that you like my character, babe. But anyway, um, but my hair's thinned. I wear glasses now. And Sean, you've aged too, but I think you look more handsome now than you did back then. I love your gray hair and your small wrinkles. And you look really good in reading glasses. <laughs> I think some of that is uh, rose-colored glasses from... <laughs> From character, maybe, but <laughs> you've got good character. <laughs> you know, as you think about marriage one day and the type of person you want to be married to, man, our culture places this huge emphasis on the the outer, on that which lasts the shortest amount of time, that which goes away the quickest. It's all about your body and your looks. I want to encourage you to think about three C's. As you think about that potential person one day, three C's, character, competence, chemistry. And character is the greatest of all three. You got to marry somebody with character. And so guess what? I want to share something profound with you, something that someone shared with me years ago. It's going to sound so amazing and so enlightening. Here it is. Do tell. <laughs> you will marry someone you date. You will marry someone you... I know that's the dumbest thing ever been said, 
but it's That's profound. True. Yeah, it's true. Because I see people saying, here's the type of person I want to marry, this godly person of amazing character who has integrity and tells the truth and hardworking and loves Jesus, et cetera. And yet the person they're dating is none of that. Mm-hmm. Or even the person they are mm-hmm. is none of that. Mm-hmm. Right. I heard a story recently about a girl who'd kind of fallen away from the Lord and she was just kind of honestly living pretty selfishly. And she met a guy who was really sharp, good looking dude, godly, humble. She went home and told her mom about him. She goes, mom, I think I met the guy. This guy's unbelievable. Told him all about him. And her mom who loved the Lord looked at her and she said, you know what? Unfortunately, a guy like that is not going to be interested in a girl like you. That is so true. I'm so glad you told that story. Dude, wow. I, can, I mean, go <laughs> I mean, mom. That's true. It, it hurt, but the girl it hurt because the girl knew it was true. And you know, to her credit, that was a turning point. It was a wake-up call. And she began to make some changes in her life. But you got to marry for the three C's. Look for the three C's. Character, competence, social competence, life competence, the ability to earn whatever it might be. Um, skills. Conflict resolution, life skills. Right. And then chemistry. So chemistry is there. It's important. Looks, attraction, how your personalities work together. But it's one of three. And I would say it's the least important. And you will marry someone you date. So you don't really want to date people who don't have that character. Let me give you the fourth and final piece of coaching that your future self would offer you in this these areas of love, sex and dating. And it's this. You should question our culture's view of sex. You really need to culture, uh, sorry, question our culture's view of sex. You should be questioning our culture's prescription for finding a spouse is another way you could say that. Because here's our culture, and I, I don't have to explain it to you. Hook up as much as you can. Move in with someone if it ends up going well. Settle down later. Maybe get married. Now, as Kim and I are talking and as we're quoting future you, you might think the three of us are really old fashioned, right? And we definitely are probably, you know, you, but, but here's what you might be surprised to know. You might be surprised to know that 2020 America, 2021 America is even more old fashioned than we are. See, 2000 years ago when Jesus lived, here's how women were viewed. Commodities. A commodity is something you place a varying value on and then you, you buy and trade it at different times based on its value at that moment. Women in the days of Jesus were used bought, sold, traded, collected, judged. Sound familiar? When they were no longer pretty, they were thrown aside. No interest was given to them. Sound familiar? Is a woman's value attached to her face and her body in our culture? So sadly, but resoundingly, yes. And what's also sad to me is women are complicit in all this. They're complicit on Tinder, They're complicit grinding on the dance floor. They're complicit, at least in part, because I guess it they think it makes them equals. But believe me, ladies, not and I'll say this frankly because a guy's not going to tell you this. Guys don't see you as equals when they're joining in on all that, or when you join in with them. They're only more likely to see you as meat, as something to grind against. Women act like they're okay with it. I'm confused by that. But guys, here's the thing: women are okay with it until they're not. Yeah, that's so true. Don't even get me started on this. I I was with some girls one night and they shared with me about how things were these days. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Because at least a prostitute gets paid. 
I mean, all these booty calls and stuff, it's just crazy. And I often hear that young women feel like they have no choice if they want a guy. And that's not right. It doesn't have to be that way. So so the, do you understand why I'm saying that? It's like the things we're saying may seem old fashioned, but the way our culture treats women is older than Jesus. When, when Jesus came on the scene, he actually inaugurated the idea of classy treatment of women. He elevated the status of women in society. Uh, he talked to women when no one would. He treated them with honor. Some of his best friends uh, were women. Some of his disciples, not the 12, but some of the disciples around the 12 were women. Here's the reality. As any culture drifts away from a biblical Christian worldview, in that culture, women and children will suffer most. Th think about countries around the world. Think about religions around the world. Think about how women are treated in those places for just a second. It's not hard to figure out. Pe people in America tend to think that women are treated better in our culture uh, because we're more sophisticated. That's actually not true. We're not more sophisticated, right? We just have been influenced more by the New Testament than countries where women and children are treated uh, extremely badly. Jesus was the one who placed value on women, had women as friends. No one did that in his day. The only reason you would talk to a woman in that day was to use her. We're not down on anybody who's doing this, okay? But we do want to sort of pull the curtain back and say, this is the reality of what our culture is selling you. Earlier, I shared the 44% number and the 25% number. I think a lot of you were surprised. I'm actually not surprised. I'm not surprised the numbers are that high. And I'll give you a few reasons for that. One of the reasons is, is that the more sexual activity that you engage in prior to marriage, and this is proven over and over again, the more likely it is that sex with your spouse won't satisfy. And by the way, hooking up a sexual activity, any time a sexual organ is touched, we're getting into sexual activity, okay? The more sexual activity you engage in prior to marriage, the more likely it is that sex with your spouse won't satisfy. I mean, that's completely opposite, babe, of what the world tells us. A hundred percent. It's not make, us making it up either. It's what people report. It's what people report in their relationships. Um, a, a second reason that I'm not surprised by the, the high numbers uh, of cheating in marriage is the pervasive use of porn, of course. Um, again, the more sexually stimulated you are before and outside of marriage, the more likely it is that plain old regular sex with your spouse won't satisfy. I talked to a guy a couple years ago, 25 years old, couldn't perform sexually because he had fed lust through porn for so many years that just looking at a plain old naked girl, who's a beautiful girl, by the way, couldn't get him excited. For him, it was like going from VR, virtual reality, to like the first video game back in the 70s. Not exciting. It was boring for his brain. It was, it was boring for his body. I want to give y'all a challenge. Me too. As, as we wrap up these kind of four pieces of advice, I want to give you all a challenge coming from future you <laughs> that I think you're going to hate as it comes out of my mouth. In five years from now, you're going to think I should have done that mm -hmm. if you don't do it. Future you would recommend this. I promise you. And so here's my challenge. This is going to sound crazy. Okay. So just know, I know it sounds crazy. Okay. And I'm still going to issue Go for it, babe. this challenge. Starting today, I want to challenge you, regardless of where you're at, to put yourself on the bench 
for one year. Like, what do you mean put yourself on the bench? Oh, I, I'm talking about putting yourself on on the love, sex, and dating bench. Okay. Okay. I know, I know some of you guys are in a serious relationship, and it's a good relationship, and Christ is at the center. I'm not encouraging you to, like, break up and, you know, not talk to each other for a year. But I would guess that most of you, given your age and given the culture you grew up in, it's nothing against you. But there is so much wrong thinking and wrong patterns of relating and, and wrong behavior that, that becomes normalized in our minds. We don't even know when we're acting immorally sometimes or against what God wants because everybody's doing that. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I get that. And it's not just all of our friends that are doing it. It's every time we turn on a Netflix show or listen to a song. Okay. So I want to, I want to challenge you starting today, put yourself on the bench for one year. Okay. Here's what that would look like. If you're not in a relationship, take a year off from all romantic and sexual pursuits, no hookups, no dating, no, no romantic pursuits. Okay. Um, why, why would I say that? Here's why just to focus on you growing and developing spiritually and as a whole person. If you do this, you're going to gain something that is, I think, impossible to gain otherwise. You will gain clarity. Mm -hmm. Clarity on your values. And by the way, how many of you, you have decided what your values for life are and have written them down? Just by show of hands, how many of you decided these are my values that I'm going to live by and I've written them down? Okay, almost nobody, okay? You will gain clarity on your values. I would encourage you during that year, write them down. Clarity on your life purpose. How many of you have written down your life purpose? Okay, so a few of you have actually taken time to do that. Okay, most of you haven't. You will gain clarity as you seek God on why he created you, what your purpose in life is. I'm not talking about job, by the way. I'm talking about how he wants you to live every day, regardless of the job you and the career you pursue. Okay, so I'm talking about if you're uh, if you're in a relationship. I'm glad you mentioned that. If you're in a relationship, I want to challenge you to put yourself on the bench in regards to sexual acts. Stop engaging in sexual acts. Again, anything that engages a sexual organ. And, I mean, if we have to get into describing, people know what this is. Okay? Yeah, I mean that's a good description. I think, babe. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Now look, you might say. If I stop engaging in sexual acts with my significant other, my significant other will leave. Mm. Love if. It's love if. It's not love regardless. You might say, I don't have the self-control to do that. Mm. <laughs> right? Here's what you got to do. You got to go to God and say, God, I don't have the self-control to do that. God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, when we boast in our weaknesses, he is strong through us. We got to go to him and say, God, I'm weak. God, I'm lustful. I lack self-control. I want to tell you guys something. If someone were to ask me to name the top two things that are required for a successful marriage, I would say selflessness and self-control. Mm -hmm. Selflessness and self-control. You know how you have a great sex life? Selflessness and self-control. I tell young men all the time, attraction is a discipline. Attraction is a discipline, okay? As your wife's body changes, as you the two of you grow older, if I'm feasting my eyes on other women, on pornography, on 
risque movies, on too much skin, in magazines, whatever it may be, guess what? Every time my flesh feeds on something else, it becomes less hungry for what's right in front of me. Attraction is a discipline. It's about gaining self-control over my flesh so that my hunger can be channeled for that one. It's not confusing to me at all why 50% of marriages end in divorce. In fact, what's confusing to me is not more do. Mm -hmm. Not more do. So if you're in a relationship, I want to challenge you for a year. Stop engaging in sexual acts. One thing too, if I can pop in, hun, is just that, you know, I think a lot of people say, oh, well, well, we'll have self-control once we get married. But the thing is, the reality is walking down an aisle doesn't change you. It doesn't. I mean, you're going to be the same person before you walk down the aisle that you go down the aisle with. Putting on a wedding dress and putting on a tux doesn't change who you are. A godly man in a tux is a godly man. A caveman in a tux is a caveman. Yeah, and a man who doesn't have self-control in a tux. Anyway, you know what I'm saying, but I... um. Yeah, I think a lot of people are really banking on that that wedding day for things to change. And so if you don't have self-control now, odds are you may not have self-control later when you are married. Exactly. If you're dating someone who doesn't have the kind of self-control not to do something that they're supposed to do to honor God, think about what that means for self-control after marriage. Ladies, do you know the times married guys report they are most tempted sexually by other women? When their wife is pregnant, their wife's a little bigger. Mm. She's grouchy. She's hormonal. I I remember you getting. (laughs) Okay. I confess. I was a little hormonal. I'll tell on Kimmy. She, (laughs) she got mad at me a few times for no reason. In my opinion, I cried a lot. (laughs) And here you are. And you're like, you know what? I made a promise. Till death do us part, I will be faithful, forsaking all others. But if you don't have self-control muscles that are gained through scripture meditation, through prayer, through learning self-control, through accountability and involving the Holy Spirit and God in your life, guess what? Self-control is a muscle you have to build. And if you don't have it when you need it, you don't have it. So if you're dating somebody who doesn't have self-control now, Putting a ring on their finger is not going to give them self-control, okay? Healthy marriages begin with healthy dating. Healthy dating begins with healthy relating. Healthy relating begins with a healthy you. That's emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, and socially healthy. Yeah, and I'm glad you say that because that's what a year like this can do for you. You can grow emotionally, spiritually, socially. I want to end by giving you five steps that you could take. If you decide to take this year on the bench, I realize not not every one of you will do this, but future you thinks you should. I want to give you five steps that we recommend you take during your year on the bench. The first one is to work through past hurts, family hurts, relational hurts. The worst thing you can do when you have hurts and traumas in your life is to jump into a relationship. That's so true. A relationship may make you feel better, but if there are unresolved hurts and issues in your past, they don't go away. They just go dormant and they'll pop out later when you don't expect them. And they make things really confusing. Yeah. If you have hurts from your past, which everybody does, everybody grew everybody up, does. Everybody grew up everybody in a dysfunctional does. family. Our kids grew our up in a dysfunctional family. Okay. Know. 
So, <laughs> so it, it, I think of it like a beach ball that's full of, full of air. You try to hold it under the water as long as you can just for kicks, but eventually it's going to pop uh-huh. out of there. These are your hurts. These are your, your hidden hangups that you have. You got you to gotta get healing during that year. You may have to do some counseling. Um, you may have to read a book called Life's Healing Choices that we recommend a lot. Let me give you the second step to take during your year on the bench. It's to break some bad habits, to break some bad habits. That might mean stop going to some certain places. Like every time I go to this place, I end up doing things I don't think God Mm. is smiling on, right? It could mean stop texting and Snapchatting certain people. Every time I reach out to this this, this person, I end up in a spot sexually or relationally that I know God's not excited about. It might mean deleting certain apps. It might mean getting super serious about a porn addiction. It could mean all kinds of things. Um, But take that year to break some bad habits. Because you know what? Being in a relationship, it doesn't simplify things. It complicates things. It makes it harder to break bad habits. I used to call this nip it in the bud. Yeah. You know, just get rid of it when it's little. You're a Southerner. I'm a Southerner. You would say that. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, babe. Okay. Number three, third step to take during your year on the bench is to grow in your character. I want to encourage you, ladies, read Kim's book, Loving Your Husband Before You Even Have One. It's a phenomenal book. Thousands of young women have bought the book, read the book, meditated on the precepts therein, and had their lives totally changed for the better. Um, You got to read it. To me, it's a non-negotiable. Guys, look for a woman who's reading that book. She would be one to watch. (laughs) Guys, I want to recommend um, uh, two books to you. One is called Play the Man by Mark Batterson, an incredible book on just growing in your manhood. Apart from relationships with the ladies, just growing up, maturing, gaining self-control, learning courage, Play the Man by Mark Batterson. And then a book for both men and women that I'd recommend is Andy Stanley's book, The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. Phenomenal book on how to do love, sex, and dating. He also, by the way, encourages one year on the bench. I think he uses different language, but I love what he says there. Take this year to grow in your character. Again, learn self-control. I think of 1 Thessalonians Thessalonians 4.3 that says, It is God's will that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And again, when you step away from sexual activity, you will gain clarity. Yeah. You'll gain clarity when you stop having sex. You will. Sex is like a drug. God designed it that way. It produces chemicals that influences the way that you think. And it works great in marriage. But outside of marriage, it can do some damage. And but if you stop having sex as when you're in the dating season, you'll be able to see a person's true character much clearer once you stop. 100%. T- take a year to grow in your character. Number four, while you're on the bench, get out of debt. Learn about money. Learn about how money works. Marriage is a lot of things, but one of the things it is, it's a business partnership. Mm-hmm. Man, you, you don't see that on the... Uh, the rom-coms, right? (laughs) You don't see that on the Netflix shows when they fall in love, but that, that is part of marriage. It is a business relationship. It is about money and budgets. We have a, we have a monthly budget meeting 
in yeah. our in our in our home. It's and it's a two person meeting, and there ain't nothing romantic or sexy about it. <laughs> it's talking about dollars and Walmart, and you know, uh, you find out what you value really quick. Yeah, you find out what you value when it comes to money, for sure. But it is struggles over money. That causes most marriages to fall apart. Yeah. And you can avoid this by learning about money now and working toward decreasing your debt. Yeah. I'm not saying don't marry somebody just because they have a little bit of debt. But man, if you end up marrying somebody and they're they're sitting on, you know, 80, 90, 100 grand of school debt, you kind of made a bad business decision just now. And and I, I realize people think love will conquer all and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? My main point is, you could do a great service to your future spouse yeah, if you would true. get your spending under control and get your financial life under control. It's a godly thing mm-hmm. to handle money well and to live within your means. I know a lot of you guys are 99% of you are college students and you're not making money yet and you're broke and all that kind of stuff. But I want to encourage you to get out of debt as fast as you can. And then finally, number five, fifth thing to do while you're on the bench Put yourself in situations to grow spiritually. It's all about the right environments. If you go to the right kinds of places, you will generally meet the right kind of people. I'm just going to make a plug here because right after I broke off my engagement in college, I spent a summer at Kaleo. And you're going to hear about Kaleo at SMC if you haven't already heard about it. But it was life-changing for me. I saw for the first time that there were guys out there who were growing spiritually too. And before that, I didn't even know that they even existed. And y'all, guess where I first met Sean? SMC. SMC. And we had our first real conversation at Kaleo, didn't we? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Rode home together. Yep. (laughs) Now, you may be sitting there thinking, ladies, there aren't any guys like that. You, you might be thinking, guys, like, I, I don't know any girls that take God this seriously that they might take a year on the bench, okay? There aren't any like that. They don't exist, okay? When I hear people say that, here's the challenge I'll give you. What you really mean is, I don't know anybody like that in my friend groups. That's a good point. It's a very and, good point. And so that's why I say, as your fifth step in your year on the bench, put yourself in situations to grow spiritually because you haven't been probably around the right people. Okay. As we wrap up, I want to give you a scripture because God has a high standard for us in our love, sex, and dating and marriage. And some of you may be sitting there going, man, I've messed up. I haven't done this right. Kim and I aren't sitting here thinking we're looking out over an audience uh, of pure, clean virgins. Okay. That, that is not the point today. That's why I love Romans 8. It talks all about why Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He died to take the punishment for for our morally wrong choices and for disobeying God. Listen to Romans 8. It says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're, we're declared innocent when we put our faith in Christ. He shed his blood for us. He took our punishment and then he rose again, giving us new life. If you've messed up and lived outside of God's will, he offers forgiveness. He offers another chance to, to do right. And he offers forgiveness for life. It's unbelievable. It is. The new relationship God gives us. We don't want anybody to walk out of here feeling beat up. We want to offer you hope. We want to say, hey, you can change the trajectory of your life. You can change the trajectory of your future family. Mm-hmm. You can 
create a different future you. And that's what we we pray for you guys today. As we go, I want to pub a couple things. I have a podcast called the Endangered Species Podcast. So it's a great podcast for men who who are sitting there going, where are the godly men? I, I need some mentors. I bring mentors to you every Friday. I search the entire world. Literally, I have guests from all over the world, professional athletes, CEOs, uh, backwoods hunters, guys living off the land, all <laughs> different kinds of godly dudes living off the grid. And I interview them and I just say, how did you become a godly man? What are you like now? Who built you? I think the godly man is like an endangered species. Mm -hmm. It's like when I find one, it's like finding a snow leopard. I want to say, hold still. I want to photograph it. I want to pull out a magnifying glass. I want to study that thing. Like there seem to be few of them. So how were you built? And that's what the Endangered Species podcast is all about. It's about finding godly men, interviewing them, holding them up on a pedestal to our listeners who we call the herd, members of the endangered species herd. Go listen to it on Apple, Spotify, iTunes. You will love it. I also, well, I got a pub Kim's book again. Ladies, loving your husband before you even have one. A must read for every college woman everywhere. A lot of high school girls reading it too. A lot of 20 something. A lot of guys have read it too. A lot of guys have read it. Although yeah. the title, you know, you might, I, I don't know. know. Tear it off. Whatever. It'll work. All right. <laughs> and um, we are starting a podcast called Loving Your Husband Before You Even Have One. And we are so excited. We're just in the final stages of it. But one of the main uh, bits of feedback from people reading the book is you know, I don't know anybody out there who lives like this. So in the same, in the same way that Sean has uh, godly men, we're going to bring on godly women and we're going to talk about um, how to grow and develop as a godly woman, um, whether you're single or married. It's just, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope you'll join us. We're going to take the principles that I talk about in the book and we're going to expand them and you're going to hear the stories from other people. Loving Your Husband for you Before You Even Have One podcast. Y'all, it has been the joy of our week to be with you right now in this breakout session. We are extremely grateful to be here. We feel privileged. We love being around college students. We feel like college students are the life of our country. We would rather be around college students than anyone else. We see tremendous potential in you, and we see tremendous potential in you for the kingdom and for the Lord. And there's there, there's a battle going on where, where Satan wants to influence your life one way through culture. And God wants to pull you in and say, no, I love you. I've created you for something far more noble, something far greater, a covenant with me. And for many of you, ultimately a covenant with another person called Christ-like marriage. And that is our prayer of blessing on you that you would get to experience that like we have. We love you guys so much. And we yes. appreciate you. Thank you.